This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, July 14th, 2022. Along with this week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines, we'll tell you about Apple's new security feature, coming soon to all its operating systems, called Lockdown Mode. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's Chief Security Analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing really well. I'm really excited for tomorrow. We're recording on the 13th of July, and tomorrow is the biggest stage of this year's Tour de France, where they go up the Alpe d'Huez, which is this extraordinary climb with 21 switchbacks. That's always one of the key moments of the race. It's the 14th of July, and they always have a big stage for, you know, Bastille Day. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, you don't really care about that, do you? That's okay. What you care about is a new speculative execution attack called Retbleed. That's really exciting. Yeah, Retbleed. Everything's got to be a bleed these days. Retbleed. Okay, so this is something that we've talked about. Remember Spectre and Meltdown in the past? These are the the first speculative execution attacks that sort of came to light at the beginning of 2018. And so these have been sort of an ongoing concern for the industry. Can you quickly explain what that means, speculative speculative execution attack, other than being a tongue twister? Sure. I guess an easy way to think about it is that whenever you're doing something on the computer, the computer knows that there's a couple of likely outcomes, right? You can either choose to go one direction or another direction. And so what speculative execution does is it just assumes both. Rather than assuming one or the other, it assumes both. So it starts processing uh, and looking ahead at what's going to happen depending on which option is chosen. And so what it does is it it's actually processing both of those options. And what normally would happen is that the one that doesn't actually get used just gets dropped and it's no big deal. And we have all these processor cycles today, you know, processors are really fast. And one of the reasons that processors got as fast as they were was because of this speculative execution technology. And so these attacks on speculative execution, like Spectre and Meltdown, um, basically they find a way to exploit that other channel that's not supposed to have done anything in the real world. It's finding a way to exploit that. Right, because as you say, that bit of processing gets dropped, but it's still somewhere in memory and it can still be read by some sort of an exploit. I think a good metaphor for this is, I guess most browsers do this, but I know Safari does. It gives you the option to preload top hit when you do a Google search or another web search. So that way you can click on that first link and it loads almost immediately. So they're assuming that most people click on the first link when they search for something on Google or another search engine. And this way it makes it quicker. And if you don't, it doesn't matter. It's just cached files that eventually get deleted. Right. So this new attack decided to sort of take a look at a software defense mechanism that had been put in place to avoid some of these speculative execution vulnerabilities. Abilities, and the software defense mechanism was called Retpoline. And so what Retpoline does essentially is it just sort of works around Retpoline. And so it sort of nullifies that software defense mechanism that was in place. So what you're saying is it's not a new vulnerability in the processors. It's a vulnerability in the patch that's protecting 
from the original vulnerability, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, this isn't a, a, a brand new speculative execution attack in the true sense of it's not a new meltdown or specter. This is just working around some existing mitigations to make sure that those speculative execution attacks can be pulled off. Okay. There's nothing we can do about it. We don't have to worry about it, right? Well, yeah, that's kind of the thing. And and right now, Intel and AMD uh, are both trying to figure out a, sort of a patch for this. However, if they implement such a thing, it, it could add an, an overhead of like 12 to 28% reportedly, meaning that you're, if you have whatever new mitigations in place to work around Retbleed, now it's going to slow down your computer by up to 12, 28% or at minimum, maybe 12%. So this is one of those things where if you want to have maximum security, you might actually need to enable some features that could slow down your computer. Now, what does this mean for the Mac? Well, we know that Apple has shifted away from Intel processors. Uh, and probably I would guess within the next few years or so, they're probably going to drop Intel support for the next version of Mac OS, maybe three, four years down the road. It's, I think it's pretty likely that somewhere around that time frame, Apple's going to drop Intel support for the latest Mac OS. So it's probably not something that Apple's even going to necessarily do much about. Again, unless this starts to be exploited in the wild, Apple tends to be more forward looking with how they uh, treat new hardware in, in terms of vulnerabilities like this. And we don't really know to what degree speculative execution attacks can be successful against Apple's new M1, M2 processor architecture. There have been some researchers who have found ways to do these kind of attacks on Apple Silicon, but it's not known to be in the wild right now. Okay, we have a story about Microsoft, and this kind of makes my head hurt, that they said they were going to allow Office to run untrusted macros, then they said they weren't going to allow Office to run untrusted macros. Now they're saying they will allow Office to run untrusted macros. And, uh, you know, macroviruses are one of the things that's plagued Macs since the beginning, right? It, it was the first malware I ever had was a macrovirus in Word. And it's this is, this is 30 years later. Why is this still a problem? Why can't they make up their mind? <laughs> I understand why they have macros. So macros are there because it's a technology that can potentially be useful for certain use cases, but most people just don't need macros. And so that's why really for safety purposes, they should just be off by default. It should be kind of a pain in the butt to enable macros. So that's the challenge that Microsoft is, is experiencing now and why they're kind of like temporarily holding back on disabling macros by default. You know, Microsoft has a lot of corporate customers and, and they don't want to rock the boat too much with their big customers because then they might choose to go to Apple or some other platform, right? So Microsoft has always been this kind of company that wants to bend over backwards to do whatever they can for corporations. And and this is uh, one of those things where Microsoft is doing that just for that purpose. It doesn't really, it's not really a good thing for most people to have macros on by default, but they're doing it just to benefit companies. Okay. We have a Twitter story. You can now unmention yourself from a Twitter thread. So here's what happens. You reply to someone on Twitter and then 17 other people reply. And then every time one of those people replies, it's like when someone CCs a whole bunch of people on emails and 
everyone replies. And you're in this thread and you see it in your mentions over and over and you got nothing to do with it because you started talking about like a new cake recipe and all of a sudden they're talking about, you know, cryptocurrency, the, the way these conversations go. So you can go to Twitter, click a little button, remove yourself from the thread. I think this is good because sometimes I get stuck in conversations like this. If you are frequently responding to people, especially people who have a lot of followers, this could be a real potential problem. And so it's nice that Twitter is implementing this feature. So Apple has finally released the public betas of macOS Ventura, iOS 16, iPadOS 16, HomePad OS, WatchOS, tvOS, anything else? We mostly talk about the Mac here, and we have a couple of articles on the Intego Mac security blog about running macOS betas, macOS Ventura beta, which you may have if you have a developer account, as I do, or if you're signed up for the public beta. And we've got two really interesting things. So I want to talk about the first one, which is the safest way to run a macOS beta. Back in the day, so I've had a developer account for as long as I can remember. So what I would often do would be partition a disk, right? Because it's your internal drive, you create a second partition, you dedicate the space to the other operating system and you can boot from one into the other. But the problem is, until a few years ago, to partition a disk, you had to erase the disk to be able to partition it. Now they made some changes in the way disk utility worked, maybe six or eight years ago, and you could, in some cases, partition a disk without losing data, but depending where the data was on the current disk. Another option was to install it on an external drive. Now, with an external spinning drive, this was slow, but I did it for many years, and with an external SSD, it was a lot faster. But now, in the past few years, since Apple released APFS, that's the Apple file system, you can create a new APFS volume on your drive with just about three clicks. It's like a partition, but it's not a partition. If you want to see how this works, open Disk Utility on your Mac. You'll find it in the Utilities folder in your Applications folder. And you'll see that your hard drive or your startup drive shows as a drive and it has containers and it has volumes. One of the volumes is data and the other is system snapshot. So all that stuff in the data volume, that's in your home folder. The system snapshot is the OS. And this is their security reasons why they've separated this, that they've locked that system snapshot. So what you can do with APFS is install a new volume so you can run another operating system on your computer it's kind of like partitioning, but I would call it soft partitioning because you don't have to erase anything. I have a 256 gig SSD on my MacBook Air. I didn't have to say, well, I've already got 150 used, so I can only put 50 for this partition. It's the file system that determines how much space each volume needs, depending on the requirements of each volume. So it's really easy to create this new volume and install macOS Ventura betas on it. Okay, that sounds a little bit complicated. <laughs> well, it's kind of complicated because I wanted to add some history in there of people who've been doing this, of what the hoops they've had to jump through, but now it's really just three clicks. Okay, coming from a world where I used to partition drives and install operating systems on them, that sounds a little bit scary. So it, it sounds like this is not something that is as scary or prone to data loss. It's still a good idea to make sure that you back up your data, anything that's really important that you want to make sure you don't lose before you do anything like creating a new APFS volume. Although the, the chance of data loss is much, much lower now with APFS volumes than it ever was back in the partitioning days when we had to do that. Sure, because the data volume is protected and it's not touched. 
It's actually the way that Apple recommends you do this if you want to run multiple operating systems. And I'm pretty sure that you can run... Uh, this started in Big Sur, so you could have Big Sur and you could have Monterey and Catalina and you could have, if you have a big enough drive, because you will need a certain amount of space for each operating system, you can run multiple operating system. And this is great for developers who need to test their software against multiple operating systems. So the second article we talk about, if you don't have a lot of disk space, you can run the Mac OS Ventura beta in a virtual machine on an M1 or M2 Mac with UTM. We talked about UTM a couple of episodes ago. We talked about installing Windows 11 for free. And you can do the same thing in a virtual machine with the Ventura beta. Now, the, the advantage here is you don't even have to make that additional volume. The disadvantage is it kind of takes up a lot more space than it really needs to. In my test, I think the virtual machine it's set up, I just used the defaults. I think it was like 64 gigabytes, but you tried this and it ended up using a lot more space on your drive, didn't it? Yeah, the, the, the first time that I tried this, I ran into a problem where it seems to have gotten stuck somewhere during the installation process. And, and once I, I had to force reboot it, and once I did and tried to do the upgrade again from Monterey to Ventura, that's when I ran into a, you know, the lack of space issue. When I tried this the second time, I didn't have that problem. So, you know, your mileage may vary, but if you're using UTM, the same program that we talked about with Windows 11, if you use the defaults, you'll probably be okay. You most likely won't run into a problem, especially with the newer versions of the Ventura beta. I was using the very first Ventura beta, I think at the time, and that's when I ran into some problems. Now the public beta is out and there will be additional betas that are coming very soon. And so you're probably less likely to run into that particular problem that I had. The one advantage using UTM is that you run the macOS Ventura beta in its own virtual machine, so you can be running this at the same time as you're running your current operating system, Monterey. So you can have Monterey on your Mac with Ventura in another window. If you're using an APF volume, you have to restart your Mac and choose which volume you start up. Exactly. So this is really nice because you can be running Ventura in a window. You don't have to reboot and worry about having, you especially don't really want to have your data, all of your important files that are potentially going to get corrupted with this beta operating system, right? You want to have a stable system environment on your computer. And so sticking Ventura in a window is much nicer, I think. However, there, there is a caveat to this. You found that it, you weren't able to use certain Apple ID related things. Ah, uh, Yes, that's right. You can't sign in with your Apple ID. So if you do need anything like software from the Mac App Store, or if you do need to test anything with iCloud, you won't be able to do that with UTM. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. And I, I wonder if that is intentional or, or whether that's something that's going to be fixed maybe in future betas. In, in my research, it's a limitation that Apple has put on virtual machines. Interesting. And I wonder if it's some way to prevent people from making multiple virtual machines to try to connect to iCloud accounts or some sort of hmm. thing like that. Okay. Because I think when you sign into iCloud, Apple is recording the unique identifier of your device. This is how they use the Find My Network if you're reporting it lost. I think there's a lot of things that involve the unique identifier. So I think Apple's unlikely to do this. You can try out all the other features in the Ventura beta, but you are limited for that. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to talk about what I think is one of the most exciting security features in Apple's upcoming operating systems. It's called Lockdown Mode. 
Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Indigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Indigo Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intigo.com. That's podcast.intigo.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intigo Mac Podcast listeners. Intigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Apple has a very interesting new feature in macOS Ventura, iOS 16, and iPadOS 16. It's called lockdown mode. Now, we've talked many times over the past few years about these sorts of spyware that actually gets into Macs, in some cases with zero clicks, just through attachments and messages or other ways. And Apple has taken this really seriously in what they're calling highly targeted cyber attacks from private companies developing state-sponsored mercenary spyware. Now, think about what they're saying. They are saying that there are countries in the world developing mercenary spyware to attack people. We know this is true, but for Apple to come out and say it with terms like that, that's pretty strong, I think. And they do specifically mention the NSO group in this article. So they don't say Pegasus as the name of this spyware that's been found on iOS, but they do mention the NSO group, which makes Pegasus spyware. You know, they're not just singling them out, but they are the only company that's mentioned in the article. Of course, we talked to a couple weeks ago about how there's also some Italian spyware as well that requires you to install a certificate and things like that uh, in order to get onto your iPhone. So there's there's other companies and other groups that are making this kind of malicious spyware that exploits vulnerabilities to get onto your phone or Mac. So lockdown mode is... I guess it's the most secure that your device can be. But of course, with strong security comes strong limitations. We're going to link to Apple's press release that came out last week. They talk about the features available here. They say, let's start with messages. Most message attachment types other than images are blocked. I assume this includes PDFs because there have been some PDF vulnerabilities that have allowed some of the spyware to work. Some features like link previews are disabled. That's another one that has been a serious vulnerability in messages, hasn't it? Yeah. In fact, thankfully, a couple of these features are things that you can already turn on, but you have to know where the setting is. You have to know it exists and and choose to enable it. Now Apple has one setting that you can just turn on and enable these couple of settings to better protect you, like the link previews being disabled. I already disable link previews on iOS anyway, but that's a feature that's buried and it's not something that's enabled by default, of course. Lockdown mode also is not going to be by default. They really are anticipating that most people who are using lockdown mode are going to be people who are who feel like they might be potential targets of a nation state actor or some other really sophisticated 
really well-funded threat actor. Yeah, they talk about the very small number of users who face grave targeted threats to their digital security. So this is journalists, politicians, activists. This is a very limited number of people. Um, some web browsing technologies like just-in-time JavaScript compilation are disabled. Can you explain what that is? Well, the, the, the most important thing to know about that is that this technology is just designed to speed up web page rendering. And you don't actually need just-in-time JavaScript compilation for like 99.9% .9 of the web. It's just something that is a nice-to-have feature, but it can also be exploited uh, for malicious purposes. So I, I would much rather have this off by default anyway. It's not something that most people need just leave it off. If it's going to secure my device better, keep it off. I, I, I like this. Okay. Apple services, incoming invitations and service requests, including FaceTime calls, are blocked if the user has not previously sent the initiator a call or request. So that sounds to me like if I have communicated with you once, then you can send me an invitation. So you're not going to get any random FaceTime calls um, from people who you don't know. Right. They do specifically mention FaceTime. That makes sense. And there have been exploits in the past. I remember WhatsApp was exploited this way. There were some ways that people were trying to exploit FaceTime in the past. So it's good to have that off by default, I think. Again, something I, I don't have any problem with. Normally, the very first interaction that you have with somebody is not a FaceTime call. You know, most of the time you're going to have talked to them on a regular phone call at some point or, or, or maybe you might be initiating a FaceTime call. But it's very unlikely that the first time somebody interacts with you is going to be through a FaceTime call. So another feature is wired connections with a computer or accessory are blocked when the iPhone is locked. Now, this is not entirely true because it's the iPhone, iPad and Mac. And we tested it on my Mac, which is running the Ventura beta. If you're iPhone is locked if your Mac is shut and you connect something. When you open up the Mac or when you wake up the iPhone or iPad, you'll see a dialog asking if you want to allow this accessory to connect. And this is to prevent things like, what is it, gray key from working? Right, right. There's certain uh, tools that can be used to potentially break into devices. Gray key is a tool that law enforcement and intelligence agencies can use to uh, try to break into a device, uh, like an iPhone in particular. And as as long as those tools can't be used when your device is locked, and, and mostly, I think the reason that Apple mentioned iPhones specifically on this bullet point is because historically, this, this feature, again, has already existed for iPhone. If you go to Face ID and Passcode, or it might be Touch ID and Passcode, depending on your device, uh, you enter your passcode. And you scroll down, there's an option there. Uh, there's You've got a whole bunch of settings for allow access when locked. And one of the ones near the bottom is USB accessories. So you want to make sure that that is set to off. And so lockdown mode automatically will turn that setting off for you. Yeah, I think in the next operating system, it's going to be in a different place. On macOS Ventura, it is in privacy and security in the new system settings app, which replaces system preferences. So I don't have a beta running right now of iOS 16 to be able to check. And the last bullet point is configuration profiles cannot be installed. The device cannot enroll into mobile device management software while lockdown and mode is turned on. Now, this is really important because if anyone can install a configuration profile, they can pretty much do anything with your device, can't they? 
Right. In fact, this is, I, I think, one of the biggest ways that, b- besides nation-state spyware like Pegasus, this is one of the main ways that somebody can get access to your device and can do malicious things with your device, essentially in, in, install malware and things like that. Well, even that Italian spyware that we mentioned a couple weeks ago also used this feature. And so configuration profiles are not something that the vast majority of people need. So again, totally fine with this being a feature that's included in lockdown mode. I kind of wish that it were harder to do these things by default. And at the very least, now I can tell people just enable lockdown mode. Uh, So far, most of these things don't really sound like a big problem. I occasionally do uh, send things other than images in iMessage because I use iMessage on my Mac. So sometimes I'll, I'll send somebody a file through iMessage, like a zip file, for example, and that's going to be blocked if I have lockdown mode enabled. That that doesn't bother me so much. If I need to turn it off briefly to receive a file, I can always just turn it back on right away. Yes, but you have to restart to do this. So if you want to enable lockdown mode, you have to restart your device. And if you want to disable it, you have to restart your device. So it's not quick. Uh, people can send you files in other ways. You can I don't know, you can set up a Skype call like we're doing now and send files. They can share an iCloud drive. I I don't think that's a real issue. What I like is that there is a single button, single click way to turn on all this. I have a feeling that there's more going on behind this, that these five bullet points are not everything, that there's other features. Because Apple does say when iPhone is in lockdown mode, apps, websites, and features are strictly limited for security, and some experiences are completely unavailable. Now, we don't know which experiences are completely unavailable, but I have a feeling that there are other things that will be limited in lockdown mode. Well, I suspect that, at least for now, they're saying features, experiences like link previews, right, are, are going to be disabled, which, again, I'm totally fine with. However, they, they do also say at launch, lockdown mode includes these five bullet points. So it's clear that Apple is intending to add additional functionality that will be reduced, right? Right. If you choose to enable lockdown mode. Again, I I think so far, all of these things are things that the average person can totally live without. And so if you want a little bit better security on your iPhone, even on your Mac, uh, you know, because these features are also going to be available for Ventura as well. I, I still think it's very important that you use a lot of caution. You shouldn't assume that these things are just going to protect you from everything because they're not going to protect you from, especially on the Mac, they're not going to protect you from malware necessarily. There's lots and lots of ways that malware can get on your Mac. There's no specific thing to mitigate malware getting on your Mac at this point. Okay, worth pointing out that Apple has established a new category within the Apple Security Bounty Program. You can make up to $2 million if you find a vulnerability that bypasses lockdown mode, and you can help improve its protections. Yeah, actually, I think this is really cool. And uh, I I mentioned this to my kids recently, and they were like, hey, Dad, do you want to make $2 million bucks?" <laughs> I'm like, well, it's not exactly that easy necessarily, but I do know some people who probably are going to be trying if they, maybe they've already submitted some vulnerabilities to Apple to try to get this bounty. Uh, so I, this is a great thing. I've been saying for a long time, Apple has tons and tons of money. They should really be throwing more of this at security. And Apple does say this is the highest maximum bounty payout in the industry, this $2 million. So um, yeah, if you're a security researcher and you think you might be able to get past lockdown mode, absolutely, by all means, see what you can do. Okay, Josh, until next week, stay secure. All right, stay secure. 
Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.